We're going to be spending a little bit of time in God's Word before we have a cup of coffee. After that cup of coffee, there is always a, a picnic to be heading to as well today. So if you've come prepared to that, it'd be great to see the picnic. If you haven't, there's always the opportunity of picking something up and coming and joining us anyway. It'd be great to see you there. We're going to spend a little bit of time in God's Word. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you could be finding it. Um, if you don't have a Bible, that's absolutely fine because you can look at the, the verse on the screen uh, that I'm going to be reading in just a moment, which is in the Song of Songs. So if you can find a Song of Songs, kind of just left of center, I make it in the Bible, in the middle and left a bit. There you go. Song of Songs, chapter 2. Verse 15 says this. It's always easier. It doesn't say this, actually. Sorry, I'm just now stepping aside from the text. It's always easier to take the covers off than to do the jigsaw puzzle and put them back on. Anyway, you're doing a great job, guys. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. Felt the Lord speak to me this week about catching little foxes. You might think, what on earth? Well, I've been used to you've been used to looking at the story and the life of Joseph, uh, the end of uh, Genesis. If you've been coming along in recent times, sometimes at an altogether, it's an opportunity to, to step aside from like an established preaching series that we're working through week by week and do something a little bit different. This week we're doing something a little bit different, which is looking at this verse and this encouragement to catch little foxes. Now you might be familiar with the Song of Songs. It may be the first time you've ever heard anything from it. The Song of Songs is an amazing book about the love between a man and a woman. It's thought to have been written by Solomon, a king in Israel, and his first love. And all the way through that book, there are like um, dreamlike poems. It's not always precisely uh, easy to tell when reading the text. Is, is this a dream? Is this something that's happening in their lives? But it's, it's speaking of their rich love for one another and how they're expressing that uh, to, to each other. Their, their affection for each other is, is very verbal. They are richly and warmly speaking their love uh, over one another. And uh, you can say the Bible delights in love. It delights in that kind of affection. And sometimes we may kind of uh, shrink from it and feel a little bit awkward and uncomfortable. But there's no, there's no shame. There's just a delighting uh, in their, uh, their love. It gives us a, an amazing example of loving with words. That said, perhaps to directly apply it sometimes involves a few challenges. I've heard it said that occasionally uh, someone might lean up against the one they love and say, what what is it about me that you you really like? What is it about me you really love? And sometimes the person on the receiving end of that question is like, well, there's so much. How do I put it into words? How can I possibly express all that delights me about my spouse? Ah, Song of Songs. What was it I've read there before? Hmm, chapter 4. I'll go with chapter 4. All of that dialogue is happening inside in a few long seconds whilst pausing to answer that question. 
I think, well, honey, it's a bit like this. Your hair, my darling, reminds me of goats. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, and, and, your, and your teeth as well. Shine like sheep. Your neck is, hang on, is like a tower? <laughs> what, what, what are you trying to say about me? A really, really good tower. <laughs> so the language would have been highly complimentary in that day and age. They both understood the, the great affection was being, was being uh, expressed. Maybe that requires some, under, some shift in understanding for us. What, what is it, the language that express, expresses uh, that delighting, uh, passionate love that is, that is authentic and is received as, uh, as complimentary? Sometimes through church history, people have looked back on this and they've seen a couple in love. And they've also thought, looking at the New Testament... Looking at how Jesus uh, is described sometimes, and how the church is described sometimes as the bride of Christ. Paul would even speak in Ephesians to husbands and say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we'd look back at uh, Song of Songs and see, well, if, if the love between a man and a woman can be that passionate in Song of Songs, surely that informs how we understand the amazing, passionate love of our Saviour, for his bride, the church. And some of us blokes think, ooh, really? The Lord Jesus is more passionate about us, the bride of Christ, than we have ever yet understood. That came to me as a profound revelation, or even a profound shock to the system, at the age of 15. Because uh, at the age of 15, I went to a Bible camp, uh, for those kind of in this church family, these next words might make sense. If you took like New Day and Devoted and, and put them together, you had something in the 1990s called Stonely, this tiny village with a massive agricultural showground that only really we know about um, who were there. Uh, and I was invited to go along for the very first time. I was a believer at this point. I had grown up in a church and in a church family. But then I heard something that changed my life that week. And it was that Jesus is not just interested vaguely. He's passionate about his church. And therefore he's passionate about us. He's passionate about me. And I went to a seminar. Do you know who, you know, at the age of 15, do you know who uh, who took this seminar, four young people in like the equivalent of New Day, all these, all these years ago, oh Lord, um, all those years ago, it was Jeremy. So, hey, hey why not? So years and years later, this guy starts relating with City Church Sheffield, and I start meeting with the elders and exploring whether I should become one, and then meet Jeremy, and it's Jeremy who's going to gather with the church, teach about eldership, and lay hands on me, as well as the other elders at that time, to see me come in. I thought, this, this world came full circle. I, I know you from somewhere. 15-year-old me recognizes 
you. 15-year-old me needed to hear that Jesus is a passionate saviour, that God loves us more deeply than I had understood at that point. At that point, there was some kind of relationship, but maybe my heavenly father was more like a cosmic boss than a father overflowing with, with passion. And so there's some application here for, for married couples, and I'll bring out a little bit in the time that we have left, but I think there's application here for all of us, City Church, Sheffield, every believer in Jesus, come on, let's catch the foxes. Now you might still be thinking, what on earth are you talking about? What are the foxes? What is this vineyard you speak of? Well, why we should pay attention to this verse is because of the promise of fruitfulness. It's describing a vineyard in bloom. A vineyard is going to grow some grapes. Those grapes are going to be turned into wine or just eaten from the branch. They are fruitful, they are tasty, they are good. Life is happening in this vineyard. We've got a couple, as it were, looking forward to married life together. They're looking forward to to, to life serving God alongside each other, and they're in love with each other for the glory of God. They're anticipating. It's not long now. It's not long now. There's going to be fruitfulness in our married life together. What did, what did the Lord say to Adam and Eve? Uh, go forth and be fruitful. Be fruitful, married couples. Be fruitful. And understanding that children would come, that would be one, that would be the fruitfulness that the Lord was looking for. And He was looking for a fruitfulness in their life, a fruitfulness in character, and a fruitfulness that would be evidenced right across the world. See the world, see the created order, go and rule over it, go and do good to it. Speaking to the, this, the first community, the first family, saying, go and be fruitful. And so the Lord would then later speak to Israel, the, the nation, the community that grew up, chosen by God. Why? Chosen to be fruitful. And the Lord would say, you could look at Psalm 80 and, and Isaiah 5, but we shan't do that now, and say, look, the, the Lord chose them. He said, I, I rescued you like a vine, like I, I brought you out. I, I dug you out of Egypt and I rescued this vine He's talking about people. He's talking about a nation. I, I took you to another land. And I, was, I came and I looked for fruit, he said, of Israel. But I didn't find it. I, I rescued you. I saved you. I defeated your enemies. I put you in this new land. And I'm looking for fruitfulness. Um, and Jesus came and then would later speak to his disciples In John chapter 15, words that will be uh, familiar to, to some of us, or po possibly many, speaking to those who believe in him, who are following him. In John chapter 15, reading from verse 15, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's true of you, Shane. It's 
It's true. You, sometimes when we tell our story, it can, it can be accurate to say, well, there, there came a point where, where I chose the Lord. I, I, I realized I needed to make a decision. And I, I believed. It's true to say, Shane, the Lord chose you. The Lord appointed you. The Lord decided to come and get you and that much fruit would be in your life. And that's what he's done to you and I. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've gone down in and out of the pool. He chose you for fruitfulness. And that fruitfulness could be in any number of ways. There's a fruitfulness, a working that he does in our character to bring out uh, love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, kindness and goodness. That's, a, that's fruit that he's looking for. He's saying, look, look, look the love with which I've loved you, that I even gave my life for you. And he's looking for the evidence that, that that's been really received. So seeing fruitfulness in us. us if, you look, if you read through John chapter 15, that seems to be the fruit that he's mentioning. Greater love has no, no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. Here's a command I give you, love. Love one another. This is not the world's idea of God being productive. This is God's idea of being fruitful. Of, of loving one another. And, um, and also, we could look at what, uh, what Paul writes to the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 1. He says in verse 21, Philippians 1 verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. He said, I'd, I'd love to go and be with Christ. I'd love to, to be in heaven. I can't wait to go and fully see with my own eyes my wonderful Savior and the heavenly kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth. Do you, you earn for that day? Sometimes when you just see mess in the world, when you see conflict and confusion and strife and argument and upset and discord and anger and fear and sadness and suffering, you see all of that, oh, oh Jesus, let your kingdom come. You come in, you're coming again. And we yearn for that day of being with him. And Paul yearned for that day and yet could say, it's more fruitful for me to be here right now. I'll know his love even more. But there's fruitful labor for me in the here and now. What's that fruitful labor? Well, now's the time when I get the chance to see more people come to know that love for the first time. Now's the time when I get to build uh, or help build church on planet Earth so that the message of God's love will go out to those who don't know him. That's, that's my fruitful labor now. I could go and be with Jesus tomorrow. That would be glorious. I'm not going to see people saved in glory. I get to see people saved on the earth. That is fruitful labor. That's the, the fruit that the Lord is, is looking for. And I was just so encouraged by spending time in our, our prayer meeting last Sunday evening to hear a variety of, of prophecies coming out. Ali was bringing one about just God's abundance. An abundant God making some connections with the, with the, uh, the preaching series that we've been going through in Joseph. And I know that people are saying, oh, it's been so fruitful to spend time in, uh, in that series, just considering God, uh, considering life, 
and what we see of him uh, right there. I don't know about you, sometimes that's just kind of churning things up. Might be, you might be listening to the story of Joseph and it's churning up old pain that you've experienced in the past, injustice like Joseph. Churning up, oh, I'm realizing my self-righteous attitudes. Oh no. Churning up disappointments and delays about dreams that haven't quite materialized yet. Oh, it's an uncomfortable place to be. Why is God churning things up? It's because he's leading us towards greater fruitfulness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is, is bringing about a fruitfulness amongst us as a church that will be realized in the saving of many lives? A fruitfulness that will be seen breakthroughs in forgiveness, breakthroughs relationally, breakthroughs in faith. You know, we were just hearing last week, Jacob, he had every reason, in a way, to come to that conclusion. He was still wrong when he said, everything's against me. He, he thought Joseph was dead. Now Simeon's captive in, in Egypt. They've got a little bit more food to help them last a little bit longer. But everything's against me, Jacob said. Is it, Jacob? He's being churned up, churned up. Why? To come back to a place of faith. Fruit is going to emerge from this crazy story. So do you believe that? If things are being churned up in you, fruit is going to come. Fruit is coming in our lives, but that's not just for some little internal holy huddle or warm fuzzy feeling. That's that God so stirs up and ultimately blesses his church. There's an overflow where we're then sharing, proclaiming this message of love that goes well beyond the borders of this building and our current life groups and, and the projects that are going on that we give thanks for. Yet a, a, a love that's breaking out from there in all areas of life. Fruitful labor for us. This is why we're paying attention. Catch the foxes. Why? Well, the vineyards are in bloom. Vineyards are in bloom when the fruit's about to come. Fruit's on its way. So we see this promise of fruitfulness, but we also see the problem of foxes. Clearly, the foxes need catching for some reason, we realize in reading this verse. Well, what are the foxes, and why do they need catching? Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes, that ruin the vineyards. What do we learn about these foxes? They're not very big, but there's more than one of them. It doesn't say, perhaps for obvious reasons, but it doesn't say, catch for us the giant T-Rex. I mean, you're not going to miss a T-Rex stomping through a vineyard, are you? I'd, what would we do if that was the instruction? Um, catch the T-Rex. Really, Lord? Should we not just run for our lives? You don't run, you don't run for, for your life from a fox. A fox isn't going to kill you. At least I don't think. The fox might bring a bit of disease. The fox might disrupt things. That's, what's going, that's why they need catching. They're disruptive. But it speaks of little things that could just get ignored, that might not seem all that significant. But if we allow them to run through the vineyard, 
they will spoil our fruitfulness. What, what might we imagine that the foxes are doing? They, they might be nibbling. Nibbling at the fruit. They might be digging up the roots, making a burrow, making a den, disturbing the roots of the, vin- of the vine. Doing little things. And if we apply that spiritually to the lesson that we're looking at today, we're saying what they're doing is, is counteracting our Heavenly Father. Jesus describes the Father as a gardener. So he might be looking at the roots. He might be pruning a few branches. He's looking to cultivate more fruitfulness. But we've got these just little foxes, little issues, little sins, little problems, kind of running through, not causing absolute devastation on day one, but if they're allowed to run amok, breed a little bit, before long there's going to be lots of foxes doing lots of damage And there's going to be only a tiny bit of fruit. And then at some point, just no fruit at all. God comes back and looks. Where's your fruit? Well, it's these pesky foxes, really. Did you try and catch them? Well, no. They kind of look cute when they're just running past. And politically, today's day and age, we don't really hunt foxes. It's not really thought highly of. So we thought it was okay. They're only little things. Just allow them to run their course. Everything will still work out. No, catch foxes. Uh, I was reading this week about marriage and the relationship. Uh, An intriguing article by a Christian writer. It's living together that makes marriage difficult. (laughs) He ate my chocolate. She left her hair in the sink. It's, it can be the little things that get to us. We can, we can think in marriage or in any relationship, in any community. Think, I'm sure if something really disastrous happened, I have faith that the Lord would help us to stand and weather the most almighty storm. And some of you have faced almighty storms. And some of you know the Lord enabled us to stand. We would not wish that on our enemies, but we've known God help us. And, and some of us can look at potential storms and think, I think spiritually, by God's grace, I think I could stand. I think I could keep my foundations. I think that with the Lord's help, I'd be fruitful. But then we get so churned up by the little things like, oh, the chocolate again. Honey, you know not to do that, and I'm now thinking about getting a gun. <laughs> it's, it can be the little things. In marriage, you could read 1 Peter 3 and think that there can be just little things that suggest or say... She doesn't really respect me. There can be little things that communicate he doesn't really care. And in that context, our our call in God, if you're a married person, is together, as a couple, go catch the foxes. The problem is, 
when we forget that they're actual foxes over there and we just start having a go at each other. Make the other person. No, the problem is the foxes. Go catch the foxes. Well, we don't have that much time. Well, you've got to go catch the fox. We've got a responsibility. But I'm not just talking about marriage. We have a responsibility to go catch the little foxes. What might those foxes be? Well, there's lots of them and they're little. So I can't give you an exhaustive list. I could give you a, I'll give you a few categories. I think there are destructive foxes. There are foxes of, of pride. There are foxes uh, of unbelief. There are foxes of jealousy. There are foxes of unrepentance. There are foxes of unforgiveness. There are little foxes of sin. I'll do something evil that good might result. It's not that big a deal. I can get away with it. Other people do it. So it can't be a big deal. There are, there are destructive words and there are destructive thoughts and there are destructive actions. There are little foxes of temptation. And here's something I heard this week as well or, or read from someone's blog. You can't stop the birds flying overhead. But you don't let them nest in your hair. It's like temptation. You can't stop the birds going overhead. We'll experience temptation. This side of glory. You can't stop every tempting thought from flying over your head. But, but don't, don't let it nest in your hair. Some of us would struggle to do that. But 15-year-old me wouldn't, you see. Just trust me. There's not much Facebook on evidence, uh, evidence on Facebook, but I used to have some hair that actually resembled the nest. Anyway, um, ask Jeremy back in 1996. Uh, it's no good having a bird on your head and saying, well, it's just inevitable, isn't it? There's, not, there's nothing I can do. I've tried all sorts. Well, keep trying. You can't, you can't stop it happening. You can't stop a, a fleeting thought, but you can, you can t do battle with a pattern or a habitual train of thought or habit. We've got a responsibility. Are you, are you catching them? Well, I just feel a bit jealous towards them. Well, what are you doing about it? Don't rest with that jealousy. Well, I've read that verse before and I still don't believe it. Are you, are you catching the unbelief? Or is it just running around? There are destructive foxes. There are distracting foxes. They're not, they're not wrong in themselves. Uh, these could be any number of things. Hobbies, relationships, all sorts. They're not wrong. But they can have a wrong priority in our life. I don't, just, oh, hopefully this isn't going to get me on a problem. I, just, I now tell the time by my phone. I've not got a watch. So I'm, I'm looking at my phone. I'm checking it just before the meeting starts. And I just see, <gasps> England play India today in the cricket. I'm sure that won't have crossed everyone's mind, I acknowledge. But it just during time of worship, I didn't do this. <laughs> I was engaged in worship. I didn't do this. But sometimes, you know, now that I've got a Bible on my phone, it can still look like an instrument of righteousness. Just pick out the phone. 
Thank you, Lord. I actually don't want to look at the score because <laughs> I assume the worst. But things that can just have an unhelpful priority in life. I, is it wrong to follow the cricket? No. But it can be a distracting fox. What is, what's your distraction? Do you have any? Are you catching them? Are you kind of seizing moments for God's glory? I'm not saying be super spiritual. Just saying, if you have to make time in a relationship, well, yeah, but time's short. It's really hard for us to communicate with each other now. There's little kids around. There's, we don't get any sleep. We're absolutely shattered. Work's busy. Okay. But are you catching the fox? If that's true in a married relationship, how much more true is it for us as a community? Life's busy, work's hard, I'm tired. Are you making time? No one else can make it for you. People can fill your time. No one else can really carve out your time. Something we've got to do. We've got to wait on the Lord. And Jesus says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But sometimes we do try, don't we? Apart from you, Lord. But life is quite full on. So on this one, Lord, help me be fruitful, even though I'm so important that I can't quite make any time for you at the moment. Make me fruitful anyway. No, we need a breakthrough of rediscovering what it is to wait on the Lord. We need a breakthrough of what it is to radically set time aside to be with our God. So we need to catch the distracting foxes, and I'd add we need to catch the discouraging foxes. The discouragements, the disappointments, the delays, the false accusations. You might not have many people falsely accusing you, but we can know the, the whispers of the enemy and his accusations, maybe even some of what Richard was, uh, was speaking out earlier on during the time of worship, was addressing that for, for us. Things that we oh, find it difficult to believe. I find it easier to believe all the negative things I've, I've heard. About where we get our personal worth from, whether we truly belong to God, whether he's really interested, does he passionately love us, or just he's mildly interested. Um, that's the battleground a lot of the time. And we've got to catch those little foxes too. God's call on Nehemiah, Ben was reminding me this week, God's call on Nehemiah was to go to Jerusalem. His part to play in salvation history was to build a wall around Jerusalem and encourage others to join in with him. It doesn't sound very glamorous, does it? Sometimes kingdom work is not very glamorous, but it's really, really important. We're building a wall. You know what? They did have enemies scattered around, and they did not want that, ball, that wall to be rebuilt. A couple of them go by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah, and they see them hard at work rebuilding the wall, and Tobiah says, if a little fox ran across the top of it, it would fall over. All that work you've put in, all that effort, is going to count for nothing. No. That's a whisper from the enemy. Maybe some of you hear that one. He wasn't talking about actual foxes. 
just wants you to get you wants to get you to down tools. Forget trying to build church. Forget believing in God. Forget praying big prayers. Forget ordinary discipleship. If it's not spectacular, just pass on by. Ordinary discipleship. I've done with that. I've tried. I've. Uh, it's hard work sometimes. You know what? Those are discouragements we need to catch. Whispers from the enemy. Maybe we'll even pray about it in a moment. What's the way forward? How do we actually catch the jolly things? Well, maybe by God's grace, there's lots of different methods. Lots from the Word of God. Powerful promises for us to take hold of. Describes the Word as living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. He will equip us if we want him to and if we ask him to. But just generally, how do we catch the little blighters? Well, before we wrap up in a minute, I'm going to tell you what C.H. Spurgeon said. Here was his advice. If you have any sign of spiritual life, if you have any tender grapes upon your branches, the devil and his foxes will be sure to be at you. Therefore, endeavor to get as close as ever you can to the persons mentioned by this text. Song of Songs. Namely, the king and his spouse. First, keep close to Christ, for this is your life. And next, keep close to his church, for this is your comfort. Now, I know that's quite broad, isn't it? But how do we catch foxes? We're not going to catch foxes without getting closer and closer to Jesus. Some of the destructive, discouraging, or uh, what was the other one? Distracting thoughts and foxes have this effect. We withdraw from time with Jesus. We withdraw from his word. We downgrade our expectations of closeness into, I go to a meeting, I sometimes read the Bible. I pray. But it's all got downgraded. It's all become downbeat. We forget what we were singing earlier on. That our Savior is alive, seated at the right hand of God, ruling over the whole universe, and he sent the Holy Spirit to equip us and enable us. For me, when I received the Holy Spirit back in 1996 with Jeremy's help, it was very much... I mean, crazy things were happening, but in a sense, that wasn't the essence. The essence of what the Lord was doing was not like bouncing along the floor, learning to speak in tongues, having a prophecy for someone I just didn't know. Some of that was happening by virtue of being filled with the Spirit. What was happening by virtue of being filled with the Spirit? I knew that I'm loved by my Heavenly Father. That was the essence of it. The Holy Spirit being poured out into our hearts that we know 
And that's in the context of knowing suffering will come and it will test us and all the rest of it. But the Holy Spirit pouring out love, that, that's not just words on a page. That's a living reality for people who've received the truth about Jesus. That's your inheritance. That's our right. That's a request we can make. I'm going to ask you for a good gift. Now, I'm not saying we then go around sort of comparing experiences. One person's experience was this, another person's experience of that. But that we know God. Really know him. Have you allowed your expectations of walking with Jesus just to get downgraded to a set of meetings and a set of Bible notes? Do we have expectation of real closeness with Jesus, abiding in in him and bearing much fruit? I'm the vine, you're the branch. Where does branch end and vine begin? That's very close. That's what he has in mind, real closeness. And then keeping close to Christ, for this is your life, and keeping close to his church. If we allow the foxes to run around in life, we will be very tempted to withdraw from Jesus, and we'll be very tempted. We'll find reasons to withdraw from church. Which, let's face it, sometimes is awkward. It's not always convenient. The sun is shining. Think about what you... Hang on a minute. No, catch the fox. (laughs) Oh, what I could be doing... It might be more productive for me to... If you want to catch foxes, if you want to be fruitful, don't see how that goes outside the church. You're called to be part of a church family where you know the love and fellowship of many brothers and sisters. And you're making some choices. You can't just stand back and say, well, just life happens sometimes. There's this sport that happens. My kids have to do that sometimes. Blah, 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 blah. Before we know it, church is the thing that just has to fit around other bigger priorities. What? Have you got a bigger priority than your relationship with Jesus? I'm not saying there aren't other priorities. Our other relationships don't matter. Are you closer or further away than you used to be? Maybe you're just tentatively on your way in. You've not really done. Known much about Jesus or his church. And this is all just part and parcel of a new journey of discovering. Well, Keep discovering, keep nudging yourself forward. And the same is true for all of us as well. Let's not find things that might seem sacred, but actually just take us away, get us distracted. We're still yet to see this promised abundant fruitfulness emerged in a church who have received the passionate love of a saviour which is then bubbling up and overflowing in their lives. Let's pray. Why don't we stand together?